Father, build in this church the community that would glorify you and bring honor to your name. Speak through your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. When trying to describe a sunrise to off-island friends, especially friends sort of in ministry and know the Bible, I often say that we are an Ephesians 2 church. All right, an Ephesians 2 church. In fact, uh, last Sunday marked the completion of our family's uh, fourth year with you guys. And I've preached through this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, three times now. And, and while the major theme of grace and what that does to our life and relationships remains the same, the treasures of this, the truth contained in this chapter and the application of this chapter grow ever abundant and more vivid every time I study it and meditate on it. It is a wonderful chapter and a wonderful book and a wonderful Bible. So in fact, you go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 2, by the way. I should mention that. Uh, it's on page 836 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided. And you will need a Bible this morning. Ephesians 2 is 22 verses, <laughs> jam-packed with a lot of depth. Um, I'm not going to give you the 30,000-foot perspective of Ephesians 2 today, but maybe like the 5,000-foot perspective, you know, where you help us see the contours of the landscape and the movement and flow of what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. We can't get through all the details, obviously, in 22 verses, but at least see the movement and the flow and why that's important for the way we live and the way we do community together by grace. You'll see how he is moving from grace personally experienced to grace communally demonstrated. How he's trying to clear up fuzziness that people get about the relationship between grace and good works. You'll get a picture of human beings' ideal history. Any human being's ideal history from blind slavery to his passions and to the prince of darkness to trust in Christ who steps in to rescue us, to grow us in how one lives and how one relates. And that's the most important thing. This ideal picture of life as God wants for us a history that God wants for you and I. I want you to see that this morning. Let me add one more thing. I hope you see this as a brilliant piece of literature. Some of you come this morning skeptical. There's at least a few of you this morning who are thinking, you know what, I'm here with this thing written 2,000 years ago, and there's contradictions, and there's paradox. I'm not sure I can rely on it, this Bible. I want you to see, and I hope you do, what a brilliant just piece of literature this is. How it probably almost had to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is so brilliant. And we know we need God's instructions, right, for community. We know we need His wisdom, His powerful word for community because we are not there yet. We can tell by just looking around. There may be someone on one side of you who, to whom you're married or to whom you're related or who serves you as your Sunday sermon buddy, right? You get to sit next to they can elbow you if you start to nod off right, during the sermon. That might happen. Just, you know. You can check with them to see if it's okay to laugh. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> right? Or, you know, even, mm, you know, the, the, 
with a point well taken. Yes, amen. So there's someone at least on one side of you, but how about the other side of you? How about the other side of you? If I count right now, I see about, I would say about 40 of you who have someone on both sides of you. Maybe 40. There's a lot more than 40 people here. But that's how we do with community. Enough to make us comfortable. Not too much more. Shall we change that this morning? I mean, we're going to listen to what God has to say about community, and it's likely going to be a little uncomfortable. So let's start physically doing what God's going to call us to do spiritually and in reality. Why don't you stand and get a little bit closer. Unless you're on an aisle, there's no excuse to not have someone on both sides of you. Good. I hope you're comfortable or a little uncomfortable, but you're in community. That's what it's all about. All right, here we go. The book of Ephesians, the whole letter that Paul writes here envisions all of life as a walk, a path that we all walk on. The only question is, in which direction am I walking? In which direction am I walking? Uh, The Greek word peripateo, which means walk, is used seven times, all at critical moments, including twice here in chapter 2, which we're going to read. Alongside lots of walking symbolism, walking motifs, you'll see course, you'll see near and far, lots of walking symbolism. As a side note, if you ever wondered why we use the ESV translation of the Bible, this is one of the reasons why, is uh, other translations do a great job of giving you an impression of what's going on in a particular verse, sometimes much better than the ESV, an impression of isolated verses in Scripture that help you kind of make sense of them. But the ESV, what I like about the ESV is it preserves words consistently across Scripture and across books of the Bible. So you can see repetitions and patterns of what God's doing. That's important this morning. For example, in the NIV, which I love, there's nothing wrong with it, but, but you'll get this walk sometimes, you'll get live or do other times. So you don't see this this pattern preserved over all of the letter. Side note. So I like this translation. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about walking. This whole life as a path. All right? It's, it's just it, what matters. The only question is, which direction are you walking? So if you're like me, it's helpful to have a visual aid. Something to give you a sense of what this life, this history of the Christian life is ideally supposed to be like. So I've laid out before you is a sort of Imaginary 25-foot path, approximately. And uh, to your left are my friends Jason and Natalia and Chad. And to your right, my friends uh, Andy, Crystal, and uh, Adam. Sorry, I didn't know what's going to happen. I was going to blank on one name real quick. But I, I love these, these folks here. Um, they're going to be holding up signs as well. We'll explain what these are in a moment. Uh, one path, all right, two directions, contrasting experiences in store, depending on the direction in which you walk in life. All right, so let's read, let's get to it, and we'll see God's ideal for your life begin to unfold. What we'll see is an otherwise unlikely friendship begin to form. An otherwise unlikely friendship, you and God. Everyone's life starts out 
as a kind of a zombie, walking lifeless in one direction course. The walking dead, as Ephesians 2 describes. Starting in verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So, let me tell you first about this path. This path, there's some surprising truths going in this direction. Few people believe they're anything but mostly innocent and pretty good. But, we're told here in the Scripture, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's one surprising truth we learn here. Another one we learn is that everyone thinks they're basically free in the choices they make. Basically, I have, I have freedom to do what I want. Every choice I make is a free choice. It's an independent choice. I am who I am. Let me be me, yo. Right? I don't, that's not a part of a rap lyric, but I don't know why I said yo, but you know the idea. It's that self-defiance. But in fact, we're told here, we are following the prince of the power of the air. Usually we're following the world and doing it. I get that imagery of like a crowd. And you kind of are following this crowd, maybe in a sporting event or a concert, and you're like, I'm pretty sure they're going in the right direction. I'm just going to follow them. When in fact, all of them, including yourself, are following the prince of the power of the air. And that is in this direction, which is why this side of the stage is more dark. I'll give you some examples now. Some examples, you're thinking you're free, you're thinking it's good, and you're helping yourself. But you're literally walking into these trespasses and sins, passions of the flesh, desires of the body and the mind, when you're walking down this course, straight this way. So first, give me some examples. You're just walking. You're just walking along. You're just following this course. You're a dead zombie. Doing what Satan and sin have, have want you to do. So along the way, as you walk, you just pick up deeds of the flesh. For example, self-gratification. Right? Living for self. Living for number one. Living for me. Doing what I want to do and living for my own pleasure. That's one of them. You pick up next. Twisted comparisons. Pride and jealousy. And you act on those, right? I'm either better than you, and so I'm going to act accordingly, or I want to be more like you. I want what you have. Jealousy. So you make these comparisons in life, and then you act accordingly. And you treat others accordingly. And you prioritize accordingly. Just as you're walking. You pick them up. There you go. Walking along. And finally, do-gooding. Wait a minute. How is that a passion of the flesh? Do-gooding, you think. Well, when we do good without God, we do it for all the wrong reasons. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, we're told that these kind of righteous acts, these self-righteous acts that we do to be good are, are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. Why is that? Because we do them to serve self, right? We do them either to feel better about ourselves. We do them to fill some hole in our lives. We do it to, to make up for guilt in our lives. 
for other areas of our lives where we know we're not living up to that standard. And so we're trying to live that out, trying to make up for that in other ways. But it's all, you notice, for self. Feeling better about self. Lifting self up. Making oneself seem better. So even do-gooding without God is, is gratifying the flesh. Living for self. And so you walk this way. You follow the prince of the power of the air. The saddest part, of course, about this is that the longer you walk, you follow, you, you collect right, these sins down it, the deader you become. You become almost less human, more zombie-like, less sensitive. And so you resist less in the name of, you know, even in the name of respectability. You don't care if people find out. You take risks because who cares anymore? This is called suicide of the will. The longer you follow down this path, the less sensitive your conscience becomes. By the way, not only before you know Christ, that happens in the Christian life as well when people wander. But there's a turning point. There's a turning point. We read that in verses 4 and 5, right? Where we get to turn, God turns us around. But God being rich in mercy. And that's the key line here. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trans. Uh, trespasses made us alive together with Christ. And it's by grace you've been saved. He, by grace, turns you around. There's nothing you have done to earn this. There's only one requirement, as we're told later in verse 8. It's by grace through faith. Simple trust in Jesus that He is your God and He forever forgives those trespasses, those desires in the flesh in which you indulged in. That's it. Trust Jesus. He enlivens you. He does something about it. And then you just walk in the other direction. Out of thankfulness, out of gratefulness to what He has done to give you life, to turn you around, you start to walk by grace with eyes on Christ, looking to Jesus. We walk into good works. Read this here. He raised us up with Him. He seated us within the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, He might show us the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Notice you were dead. You were helpless. You were like the zombie drooling. Going this way, right? He, he comes down. He rescues you by grace, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast and take credit and say, yeah, yeah, I had a part to play in this. For we are, now here's the cool part, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them or literally walk into them. You see the imagery here? We once walked this way and we walked into deeds of the flesh. Passions following our own way. The way Satan wanted us to go now, walking this way, you just naturally walk with Christ and you walk into these good works just very naturally. Just walking along to my first good work. Look, I'm just looking at Jesus. And just along the way, I just run into these things. I just pick them up along the way. As opportunities present themselves in life, I walk into good works because I'm focused on Jesus. I want, I want to respond to what he's done in my life by pleasing him. And so first I walk into under-the-radar kindness. 
Just being kind to people, not letting my left hand know what my right hand's doing. I'm just being loving to people. You know, buying them a lunch. Just doing a kind deed. Watching their kids for them when they have no one else to watch them. Whatever it might be. Mowing their lawn. If people mow their own lawns here in Gay Man. Whatever it might be. I'm just walking along. Because as I have opportunity, hey, yeah, what's different about your life? Oh, it's Jesus. Can I tell you about him? Yes. Walking into another good work. Sharing the good news with someone else. Good news about Jesus with someone else. I'm just walking. Just walking with him. People see a changed life. They want to know. Tell them. Share with them what he's done for you. You're just walking. And finally, a third good work prepared in advance, which Paul lists and describes actually in the second half of this chapter more fully. And we'll get to that in a moment. That's crossing lines of relational comfort. We relate to people we, we may never have related to before because of what Jesus has done for us. So we make friends, right? We make friends with former enemies, right? We, we former people who, who were awkward, former awkwards, former unlikelies, right? We start to reach out to, cross lines of relational comfort. It becomes a supernaturally natural thing, right? Have you ever walked with someone you truly care about? Maybe um, if you ever dated someone, or perhaps you're married to that someone now, you may remember, especially when you first started dating, walking to a restaurant together, or walking down the street with them. It could be a friend as well, a good friend. In such situations, have you ever noticed how much, it's, it's so much more natural to be kind to others, especially in the beginning, right? You love being with this person, and so you're kind to other people, even to strangers. When you're with the one you care about or love, with the one who has given you life anew, who makes you feel alive, just like Christ has given you life. It's more natural to lend money, to lend a hand, to lend a smile to a person who probably receives precious few. We say that, right? This person makes me feel alive. God did make you alive, the walking dead. And he keeps you alive. So it's just natural along the way by grace as you're walking with him, knowing all these gifts he's given to you to love, to help, to act along that path. God up in heaven came down, rescues you, livens you, for you. Therefore, we read in verse 11, therefore connects the first and second half of chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10 and 11 through 22. It's the big centerpiece, okay? It's like, therefore, because God activated this undeserved love, breathing life into the walking dead, and turned your life around, not only walk into good works that God has prepared in advance, but especially this good work I'm about to describe, that Paul is about to describe. Therefore, walk into this specific good work. That's the second half of Ephesians. That's what we're going to talk about. But first, let me give you in a nutshell this morning. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Make an unlikely friend with Christ most in common. Make an unlikely friend with Christ most in common because God did the same with you. A relationship in which you have Christ as your strongest glue, your strongest bond because God did the same with you. Consider how unlikely we are to be a friend of God's. Look back at verses 1 through 3. There are the no trespassing signs that God put up 
We disregarded them, either sneaking kind of past them, under them, or we just blatantly said, forget about that. We jumped over it. Living to indulge in passions what makes us feel good, but blatantly against what God has told us would be good for us. Desires. We see the world around us buy into, but God is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Just disregard it. Children of wrath were called. What an unlikely... Imagine what the angels could have said amongst themselves when they heard about God's rescue plan amongst the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, really? Trinity? Humans? Really? I mean, they're so... I mean, forget even just the rebellion and the wrath. I mean, they're so annoying. They're going to invent reality TV shows, right? Where they just chronicle themselves on television for hours and hours at a time. Toll roads. They're going to make toll roads. I mean, they're going to make you pay to drive and then never take them away. Right? They're going to have Cockney accents. (laughs) And then finally, I mean, Justin Bieber. They're going to have Justin Bieber. Then the, 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 the blatant disregard for you, Lord. Human beings? Unlikely. He put himself out there as a friend put himself out there through the God-man, Jesus Christ, who has humanity in common with us and divinity in common with the Father, right? Christ is most in common between the Father and us. All we had to do was say yes, and everything changes. Eternity itself changes along with our lives and the history of them. Therefore, as, as I have done this vertically, God is saying, I've done this vertically, Go and do likewise horizontally in human relationships. As I've done between you and I, go and do likewise vertically. In fact, if I had the 2014 Sunrise budget, had enough money in it to make the stage an escalator going up vertically, that would have been the first half. All right? But we don't have money for that. This is the horizontal piece right here. The otherwise unlikely friendship, part two here. You and blank. Who is that unlikely friend for you? That's what we're going to see and talk about here in these last verses. Because of sin, Satan, and the world, everyone starts down the path of relational alienation. Relational alienation. Just like everyone starts down the path of sin towards Satan and indulgence, everyone also starts down the path of relational alienation. Yes, you you get the warmth of a mother and father, then you quickly are betrayed. You're quickly disappointed. You're quickly abandoned in life. Everyone knows that. So read with me in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So you're alienated and you feel all the effects, all the implications, all the deeds of alienation as you walk down this course. You feel that you're labeled by society, right? Sometimes positively, but always negatively. Right? For every, every positive way you're labeled, people behind your back who label your type of people or you specifically negatively. In fact, here we see in this passage, this, this phrase there, you are called this uncircumcisioned by those, obviously, who were circumcised. Those not like you. 
Now, Jews labeled every non-Jew a Gentile. And they had various names for them, not all of them, in fact, most of them unflattering. Gentile is, literally means ethnos, from which we get the term ethnic, various. Paul was writing to a church uh, comprised of mostly non-Jews, but with some Jewish Christians, all right? And they took issue with these new Christians, these Gentiles who came into the family of God. See, before Jesus, if you were Gentile and you wanted to be part of God's people, you had to offer a specific sacrifice, take a purification bath, and, oh yeah, then get circumcised. As an adult, you get circumcised. So, uh, that's why they're called the uncircumcision, because very few people volunteered. It was a hard step to, to be circumcised as an adult. And then most people who came into the faith, who came to trust Christ when Christ came, I'm definitely not getting circumcised now. You can imagine how Jewish Christians felt about this, and we know that they did. You know, we went all the way. We fulfilled all of the covenant. We did more than you. You know, you kind of did a little less. You just trusted Jesus. Now let's go ahead and say, as we start to apply this to our lives, that 99% of us in this room are Gentiles and non-Jews, but this passage still has enormous implications for us today because we still have labels due to division, due to difference, including our different standards for relationships. Right? We still have different standards for relationships, even in the church today. In our minds, of course, we don't discriminate. No, we never do that. But by the looks of our relationships, we do. We agree that everyone's equal, but really, a church is a great place to find people who comfortably meet our standards plus love God. All right? We have standards like, oh man, we just don't have the same interests. They're not down to earth enough. They can't afford the restaurants I like to go out to, so we're not really going to be friends practically. They're not really sensitive. They're too loud. Their way of faith is too, it's too boastful or it's too out there. We have different standards. And that's how labels happen. Labeled by society and sometimes even in the church. You also experience being strangers to an eternal community. We're talking about being strangers here. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise. Before Jesus, consider, if you're a Gentile wanting to worship Yahweh, worship Yahweh, you did so at a further distance. Look at this chart I have up here on the screen. All right? The temple is right there in the middle. You can see. Oh, great, I'm a Gentile. I get to be included in the Jewish faith. Guess where you get to sit? Right there where the yellow is. On the outer courts. That's like, you know, the area where you cannot see the pitch, the soccer pitch, or the ball field, right? Obstructed view. You don't see anything. You just kind of get to walk on the outside and listen to the crowd. Think about people back then, too. The average Gentile, for the Jews, they had the promise of something beyond this life. But for the Gentile, average male living in the Mediterranean world, you got about 40 years. Female, about 25 because of childbirthing fatalities that often occur. That's the span of life you get to find depth, commitment fulfillment in relationships and in community. Circumstances are different, of course, now. We have a longer lifespan, but the dilemma in Cayman is not. How many people approach the end of their time here, for instance, and are are able to say, 
that this community was worth all their hopes, all their energies, all their efforts, all their sacrifices. But a Christian can. A Christian who loves his or her church can. They can say, I'll see you again. I will see you again. They'll say that, you know, God used you to further my salvation. You mattered in my life. Finally, you get a godless and misplaced hope, which always hurts. Right? He talks here about having no hope and being without God in the world. An eternal hope empowers you to love someone, but also endure with them. Be patient with them when they don't respond. Because you don't have everything invested in them. You can love them, but not have everything invested in them. But a godless hope either overinvests in a person, crushing the friendship, creating bitterness when one party disappoints or abandons the relationship, which always happens because someone either moves away or eventually dies. Or a misplaced hope abandons any investment in a person in favor of pleasure, money, success, status, and so creates hostility as described in both verses 14 and 15. And so a godless and misplaced hope, that always, this is the direction of relationships that we are naturally born into and head into in life. Oh, but. We get another but in these verses, which is so great here. The turning point, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a turning point. Again, because of Jesus. The grace of Jesus Christ entering our lives, dying on the cross through the blood of Christ. I turn around, let go of alienation for good. While God was restoring this, he also restored this. That we might walk with those we never before considered. He brought near the Gentiles far off into the people of God. And he does the same today. He brings you near unlikely friends. As you remember the cross, the blood that bought your salvation. And brought the most unlikely friend down to be with you, God. The more you drink in this reality that, that, that God came to you by grace, the more you recognize the knee, the cross, the lines of relational comfort. We need to cross those lines because he crossed the line for us. You see that? You see how this passage is working itself? You have this direction, but God's done something about it. Now, cross the lines, friends, just like I, God, have crossed the line for you. You can begin a new kind of relating for us to walk into. So for instance, you embrace your new label. That I am more a child of God than everything else, right? So instead, you've got to shed those old labels of, you know, a bloodthirsty lawyer or a snob. You're boring. You're a burden. Those people are unable to afford a gossip. Too loud. Too materialistic. Too serious about the faith. Not serious enough about their faith. All of those labels. Shed them. It says here in verse 19, we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So now you are most a child of God, most a family to the Father, most a brother or sister to Jesus, and by outsiders called a Christian. As First Peter tells us in one of his letters, take joy that you bear that name. We hear in verses 14 through 18 this emphasis, by the way, on one. He made himself our peace. He has made us both one. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, he may create in uh, in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and can reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Emphasis on one. Read with me. Paul, Paul talks about elsewhere with this in Galatians 3, 26-28. He says this, For in Christ Jesus you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore there is no longer any Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you forsake your roles. Right? Give me an example. A, a, a Jewish person who comes to trust Jesus Messianic Jews still practice the Passover. I've been to a Passover Seder. But the priority and focus of those roles change. So in the Passover Seder meal, now each aspect of the meal, the Passover meal, points to Christ. And you see it if you're part of the Passover meal. You see the bitterness and and the brokenness and the themes that all point towards what Jesus took on and what He became for us. Or if you're a man... You still lead your family, but now you do so self-sacrificially. You lead self-sacrificially. There's new focus and priority of the way you lead. You start to relate primarily as brothers and sisters in Christ, family of God. You also pursue previously hostile relationships through the peace that's offered through Jesus Christ. If you want more information on that, we have some great material back there on a biblical peacemaking. There's some brochures in the back. don't have time to talk more about that now. You also can pursue previously unlikely relationships. As you're walking with Christ, remembering His grace towards you, you just naturally want to pursue unlikely relationships. That's huge. Pursue unlikely relationships. He came and preached peace, this is in verse 17, to you who are far off and to you who are near. Now I know primarily that context has to do there with the Gentiles being far off, the Jews who are near to the promises of God, both recipients of grace. But a secondary application, when I hear this, when I hear far off, brought near, I think of our fair island. Think of Cayman. Once far off, expats. Always been near, Camanians. Right? Together. This is what our church must be. This is what God calls us to. People are so used to, even the noblest clubs, the noblest charitable efforts, churches even, dividing down that line. We, can't, we have to cross it. We have to cross it, friends. And you're not going to hear me say it any other way. I will continue as long as I'm the pastor here to hammer that home. And sometimes it even happens. In fact, before we go any further, I want to celebrate Christ who's the strongest bond between unlikely friends, otherwise unlikely friends, here at sunrise. So for instance, you're going to see up here on the screen my friends uh, Genevieve and Ray, who are different in most ways. You may be seeing this, saw this before the service. We had a slideshow going. In fact, this is uh, Ray's and my friend Steve here's last Sunday with us. They're moving back to the U.S. And um, Ray's a guy who was an unlikely friend for me if not for Christ, but man, I'm so glad he's in my life, and Steve as well, but um, make sure you give him a warm hug. Izzy and Ralda, otherwise unlikely friends, Katie and Joe, Tony and Madhavi, Gordon and Coach Pilo, 
my friend Omar and myself. I think of these people. I'll give you an example. Omar says he's from Puerto Rico, self-employed, hairstylist, taste in fashion. I'm an American, a Bible dork. I rarely match, and I wear whatever's clean. All right, whatever I can find is clean. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'm not sure we'd be friends. You might say, yeah, but he's a hairstylist. Maybe you get your hair cut from him. That means you don't know me. That, that, my man charges $40 for a gentleman's haircut. I am one of the cheapest men you'll ever meet in your life. All right, and it's a great deal. He's got, cuts hair great. I don't want to diss it. I, like, I once negotiated a haircut here down from $15 to 10 at this place across from the airport post office. I, I negotiated down. I, nobody was doing anything in there. I went in. I said, hey, looks like no one's doing anything. Will you guys do it for 10 and a guy stood up and said, yes, I will. It was ridiculous. I'm, I'm totally shameless. But, but we wouldn't have got there otherwise, except for Christ. In fact, we've made a photo album, seriously, a photo album that says, Celebrating Christ Who Bonds Otherwise Unlikely Friends, Ephesians 2, with all these photos in here, and there's a space to chronicle to thank Jesus for bonding us to an unlikely friend, otherwise unlikely friend. So we have all these names. You can look at this later and even add your own picture. This will be prominently in the back. Photo album, Celebrating Christ, the bonds, otherwise unlikely friends. Find this in the back afterwards. Take a picture, send it to us, we'll add you in there. Great. How might you, how might you begin to make and cement an otherwise unlikely friendship? Number one, join a community group. <laughs> All right, just do that. Number two, take responsibility in your community group for intentionally inviting different sorts of people. Be the one who insists on it. Be that person who says we have to invite different people. It can't all be you know, British, Com- Canadian, South African, American, Kamanian, whatever it is. Can't all, we're starting to look like this niche, and the world is not impressed by that. Target someone unlike you after the service. All right, Before you head to wander off your warm blanket of friendship, that person you always want to talk to afterwards, target someone unlike you. Find someone prior to the service to sit next to next week. They might look a little like, whoa, why are you sitting next to me? Who cares? Just do it. All right. And then cement that friendship. Take time both in and outside the relationship to get to know what they like. Uh, Spend time looking at music they like on Spotify. Research what they enjoy. Well, that's too much work. Is it? Seriously, five minutes to like see what they enjoy and get to know more about it, ask them questions about it? Come on. Swallow with a smile what doesn't initially go down easy, whether it's preferences, uh, country music, anyone? It's hard for me to get over, all right? But, um, and, and, or even unintentional offenses. There are times in relationships you're going to offend someone because you're not from the same culture, background, nationality, experience. Swallow it. Wait. Be patient as Christ has been patient with you. Be willing to give. Here's another one. Be willing to give without complaint or joke and receive without guilt or shame. Give without complaint or joke, receive without guilt or shame, or, or else do things that don't involve money. So often we base our friendships around things that cost a lot of money. What does that do? It divides. Be willing to be generous then. And, and do it with you taking the initiative. If you have the money and God's graced you with that, take the initiative to say, you know what? I'm giving this. I don't want to hear anything else about it. I really don't mind. It's all from God anyway. It all comes from the same place. And then receive. Don't be so prideful that you can't receive that. Talk about Jesus. Here's the last one. Talk about Jesus. Jesus stuff. Ask hard questions. Pray. Practice accountability. Read the Bible together. If nothing else, if you don't have anything else in common, go with the best blessing of all, these sorts of things which can bond you. 
What an opportunity we have, friends, here on this island in Cayman. Let's give Cayman something that truly will impress them. You know what doesn't impress them? Niches of people hanging out because they're all the same. We can do what Ephesians 2, 20-22 tells us. We are built up. We are built on the foundation. This is happening. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Chad represents Christ in this scenario. All right. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the temple of the Lord. In Him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. What a, what a direction we get to go into in our lives. It's the first time I've ever attempted in church. I guarantee. As God builds... The, that's right. Don't clap too long. I promise this will take a minute or less. As God builds this temple in which to dwell, we say we want to be indiscriminate, so let's act like it. Let's form friendships that would build something different, something beautiful, something amazing. In the words of Benjamin Mays, the president of the all-black Morehouse College in the segregated 1950s, he said this, the Christian must act on it or he will cease to believe it. Let's pray. God... This is going to be a short prayer. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for making us unlikely friends. Help us take the initiative. Give us the courage to step out and make an unlikely friend. In Jesus' name, amen.